Today's episode of Necronomapod is brought to you by Beardology. There are a lot of imitators out there, but there's only one place I buy my beard oil. Beardology beard oil nourishes your skin and won't leave you with that greasy feel. With over 17 cents available in their extensive product line, I trust my beard to Beardology. You can find Beardology at beardology.co. Use code NECRO15 to receive 15% off your purchase. Beardology, discover the best way to avoid the shave. Well, you voted for it, we supply it. Back in December, you listeners selected John Benet Ramsey over three other subjects to be our first topic of 2020. Thanks for choosing such a feel-good story, you fuckos. In part one of our series, we'll be introduced to the Ramsey family, discuss the events leading up to John Benet's disappearance and the discovery of a ransom note. We'll also discuss the forensic breakdown of Patsy Ramsey's 911 call, as well as the handwriting of the note discovered by the Ramsey family. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you think you know all the facts behind this disturbing story, stick around. You don't. This is Necronomapod. The 2020 Daytona 500. Oh, uh, yes. You coming to my party this year? Yeah. Are you? Mm-hmm. Why Dave? didn't I come? I, somebody was, was I sick last year? I don't remember. Something happened. Dave comes every year and pretends to give a shit about NASCAR and he just drinks alcohol and eats food. Do I really pretend though? I guess I, I mean, you go to a Daytona 500 party. <laughs> yeah, I just sit there and drink. Oh. I was there the year before that. Yeah, you, yeah. you usually come. Yeah. Watch a bunch of left turns. It's so exciting. I, I even asked some questions. Yeah, I appreciate I that. I tried to learn a See? little bit. Well, I sit here every week and try to learn from you. Mm-hmm. You come to my house once a year and learn from me. All right, February 16th on Fox. Check your local listings. Daytona 500. Mm. It's a free plug. Yeah, I was pretty blown out that, that time. That's, we went to breakfast. We did. We go to And the, then we started drinking immediately after breakfast oh, at like 1030 in the it's morning. A day. It's That's a the big, plan. It's a day. Mm-hmm. Pre, as soon as the pre-show comes on at like 11, I'm like, all right, it's go time. And the race doesn't start till 2.30 or 3. Yeah. Didn't your guy like lose at like the fifth last lap one year? Um, He was leading with Chase Elliott. Thank you for bringing that up. Is <laughs> Weren't you like sobbing hysterically? No, not. <laughs> three laps to go, I believe he ran out of gas. So it was three? Yeah. It was pretty amusing. Like, you, you couldn't, laugh. You couldn't I, laugh in front of him because he was about to cry. But I was not that because you knew he knew he didn't have enough fuel. I mm. mean, it was it was documented. I was about to throw up though for a while because I was so nervous. Like, oh my god, what if he pulls us off? I'm gonna flip out my own house in a good way at least. <laughs> um. Anyways, that's enough NASCAR talk for the year. As promised on December thirtieth, twenty nineteen, I completed Breaking Bad again Congrats. as voted by the listeners. Yeah. 
um, completed that. And then I waited till the new year, but I did watch El Camino as well, just to kind of put a bow on everything. How'd you like that? El Camino, I thought was really good. Yeah. Yeah. I did. If it would have ended, if, if it, El Camino didn't come out, I still would have been fine. Like with Jesse's ending of Breaking Bad, like, you know, just kind of leaving it up to the imagination, but him getting out, that would have been fine. But yeah. that's just like a, a movie to wrap it up. I thought it was good. It was all right. I was happier with El Camino than I was with Breaking Bad, like at the end. Like I just, I don't think I've ever felt rage like I did, like the last few episodes of Breaking Bad. Yeah. That was the angriest I've ever been watching TV. I was like, how do people enjoy, say they enjoy this show? This is terrible. <laughs> if you just want good people to get hurt or die and bad people to win, then this show's for you. The last episode makes it a little better, but going into the last episode, I'd, I'd stream like three or four episodes in a row and I was hot. I was livid, like hating the show. And yeah. I was like, if I watch the finale now, I'm going to have a negative view. So I waited like a day, calmed down, whatever, got over it, and then watched the last episode. And it was a very good finale. It was good. I mean, they, they made it all wrap up nice. But that was the whole point of the show arc, wasn't it? Was what? You know, what you just described, mm -hmm. like getting you so hot. And like, that was the whole point of the story. Maybe so. And when you're watching it live, you have a week in between to cool off. I did not. And if I would have watched that last episode, then I would have had a very tainted view of the entire show because I was hating it, mm. hating it. I wanted to see Walt hung from a tree and people spitting on his body. <laughs> I told you. Yeah. But I it's also crazy. told you before you even started watching the show. You did tell me. <laughs> I was I was I liked Walt up till season five and i did not like jesse much i didn't hate jesse i just didn't care for him felt like he yeah. just fucked everything up all the time and yeah. then season five they do a really good job of kind of flipping him. yeah i like todd he was a good character he's a nice kid. just a swell guy a nice kid yeah he was a lot nicer in el camino you think so i think I it highlighted so. how much of a more of a piece of so? shit he is he's yeah. just offering some soup he had beans and bacon <laughs> soup he was offering him in his apartment i don't know about Whew. that that uh was she, that cleaning lady? Yeah. yeah that he killed. She found the, his money. What's the guy going to do, right? I guess so. The money that he had <laughs> hidden in his fridge. We're giving away so much. Of the Sorry, a lot of spoilers there. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, well, glad you finally got through it. I did get through it. I got it done within the year like I promised. And I enjoyed it. It was good overall. Um, I think I am going to watch at some point. I'm going to watch Game of Thrones. Wiener alert. Wiener alert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we'll fight through it. I don't remember that many. Uh, I don't either. People keep saying that. I don't, yeah. I don't recall a lot of There's wieners. articles about how much there is. The abundance of wiener in the first few episodes or first season. At least. I don't think that's accurate. I also found out, um, and I think you guys were the ones, it was that my brother is one of the ones who thinks it is one of the worst finishes in television history. He, he has a sour view of Game of Thrones because of the way they ended the show. Hmm. Yeah. I know you guys were saying you liked it. I didn't mind it. It wasn't perfect. I didn't hate oh, it. Oh yeah, I'm not going to spoil anything, but some people were mad about how a character turned out. And you mean like how I was with Hank? Pretty disappointed. Yeah. Well, you'll see if you watch it. You'll see. Not Hank Walt, but Hank oh also. yeah, yeah, kind of. I'm at Walt, yeah, kind of. Hank's demise is what put me over the edge. Yeah, I, was, I love that part. That was great. Mm -hmm. When, when was, Hank gets shot in the I face, I hated Hank in that show. It was terrible. He was pretty obnoxious. You're, you're joking, right? No, not at all. He was the only reason why I kept watching that show. I hated Hank. He was the best character by far. He was the only one who was good and decent. Well, yeah. Everybody else had flaws. He didn't, other than he'd bust your balls. He's like a frat boy. Yeah. It's annoying. 
But they it was it was worse in the first season, I noticed. Like they really stopped him being that way. Like they, they trailed off of that as the show went on. Mm. Maybe because he had his injuries or whatever, but yeah. I don't know. Anyways. Well, good so luck Game with of Game Thrones. of Thrones. Well, When's that, your target completion no, date? 2022. Okay. <laughs> because that's going to take a long time to get through. But I'll watch it at some point. I'll provide updates. But I'll watch along with you. Well, you're going to get through it a lot quicker than I am. I was on season four of Breaking Bad before you were done with season two. Yeah. I just blew through that fucking thing all over again. <laughs> Once I got going, there would be a few nights where I can just blow through a few episodes yeah. and you know get on a good rhythm. And then I'd fall off for like a week. Anyways. So going into this, let me just start this off by saying I knew nothing of the JonBenet Ramsey case. I was a kid at the time, but all I remember is her face on the tabloids. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember. I don't know a single thing about this story. So as we're going through it, I'm learning based on your notes. I feel like a lot of other people know it because it's like our time <clears throat> and it was a mega story. I know nothing about it, so it was kind of interesting to read this first set of it's notes. Not, it's not. It's horrible. I would much rather be talking about Casey Anthony right now, but the fans would have voted <laughs> properly. It was It was second. It was close. Yeah, at least that one. You got some eye candy as you're going through a terrible story. Some. Yeah. This was not a pleasant uh, read. No, it's but horrible. It's, I found yeah. it to be extremely interesting. It's, it's very, very strange. It's... It reminds it, me a lot. I'm sorry, I cut you no, right go off. No, go ahead. It reminds me a lot of like the kind of Chris Benoit type story where there's just like so many questions about like what happened. And there's a lot of odd little things and, and weird coincidences. Coincidences. Yeah, this one has more so though, because with, with the Benoit one, is if you're a patron, you can go back and listen to that on the Patreon archives. Um, I mean, it was pretty open and shut case according to the police, whereas this one. Yeah, I mean, this not. is. The most bizarre case. I mean, every time you think, at least for me, every time I think I'm like, okay, that it sounds right, you mm-hmm. know, a theory. Then there's something else that does that just throws it off. It's the it's the most frustrating one that I've outlined I've done so far because everybody seems to have their own agenda with this, and they withhold um, evidence to uh, mm-hmm. to get their their version. Their there's no straight stories anywhere here. No, not at all. So that's kind of the goal of of our series on this is to just present the facts as best as we can and go from there. Come up to your own conclusions. Yeah. And we'll maybe give you our thoughts at the end. Oh, for sure. Yeah. All right, let's uh let's jump into it. John Benet Patricia Ramsey was born in Atlanta, Georgia on August sixth, nineteen ninety, to parents John Bennett Ramsey and Patricia Ramsey. Her name was a combination of her father's first and middle names and her middle name after her mother. Very strange name. Yeah, it's very unique. Yeah, it's different. And they threw they threw the uh, what do you call it the accent over the e mm-hmm. it's being to fancy. make it sound more uh, French. French, yeah. John Ramsey was a wealthy businessman, and her mother Patsy was a former beauty queen, uh, Miss West Virginia, to be specific. Hmm. Can't imagine there's great competition there. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) We all were thinking it. I just said it. You ever been to a strip club in rural West Virginia? I have. Some good stuff. I don't know if I agree. (laughs) (laughs) John Ramsey graduated from Michigan State University in 1966 with an electrical engineering degree. And then five years later, he got his master's in business administration, also from Michigan State. 
John was married before he met Patsy Ramsey to a woman named Lucinda Johnson, and they had three children, Elizabeth, Melinda, and John Andrew. They divorced in 1978 on November 5th, and in 1980, he married Patricia Paw, who goes by the name Patsy. Patsy attended West Virginia University and graduated with the bachelor's in journalism in 1978. And just a year before that, she won the Miss West Virginia beauty title in 1977. So how about that, Mike? So she's, you know, building quite the resume here. She wins. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I was supposed to say to that. <laughs> Well, you were denigrating the whole state of West Virginia and their well, and their and their women. I just thought I'd throw it back to you, is all. Well, she's the best one. I don't even know what she looks like. Is she an attractive lady? Not especially. Yeah. Think Maybe. about that, and she won. <laughs> Maybe back in the eighties, I don't yeah. know, or seventies. I'm, I'm gonna hit the old Google machine while you're talking here. All right. On January twenty seventh, nineteen eighty seven, Patsy gave birth to the couple's first child, Burke Ramsey. Then three and a half years later, they had their second child, John Bonet. In 1991, the Ramseys moved to Boulder, Colorado for John's business, Access Graphics. John started a computer software company in the 80s, and eventually his company and two other companies merged in 1988, and this formed Access Graphics. Access Graphics was then sold to Lockheed Martin in 1991, with John becoming the chief executive officer and president of Access Graphics. So he was doing okay for himself. Yeah, and can't really, uh, not much information out there what Access Graphics exactly does besides that it's a software company, mm. which would something with weapons since Lockheed Martin bought it. But Yeah, makes sense. Have you guys ever been to Boulder? Mm-mm. No. I thought that it's beautiful. Yeah, I've not. So when the Ramseys relocated to Boulder, they purchased a 7,000-square-foot home for $500,000, and the real estate has it listed actually as uh, 11,000 square feet, but that's adding in like the garage and shit. Like, okay. like normally you wouldn't add that yeah. in, yeah, but they do. You can't have the basement in either, right? Isn't the basement not included? Unless it has its own entrance, I believe. Is that what it is? Yeah, so online they it's listed as 11,000 square feet, but that's including all the... It's a pretty big house for $500,000. That's what I was thinking. And granted, it's 25 years ago, but or almost still. 30 years ago, but yeah. still. Yeah. It's a Tudor-style home built in 1927. There are four floors, including the basement. The basement is made up of a series of small rooms, and the home has two staircases, one traditional and one spiral. There are five bedrooms. Burke and John Benet's rooms were located on the second floor. John Bonet's room had its own bathroom and balcony, and the master suite was right above the children's rooms located on the third floor. And that'll make more sense in part two, why we're getting into the layout of the, the house layout. and all that stuff. Right? <laughs> it's the blueprint of the house. Yeah. We're going to explain every room. <laughs> Shortly after getting settled in on January 8th, 1992, John Ramsey's oldest daughter from his first marriage, Elizabeth Ramsey, was killed in a car accident in Chicago, Illinois, at the age of 22 years old. So, John, I mean, we know what happens to John Bonet. So, John has two, two uh, children. Mm. A black cloud over these people. Yeah. On December 23rd, 1992, the Ramseys purchased a 1,731-square-foot vacation home Charlevoix, Michigan, 
for $336,000. In June of 1993, Patsy Ramsey was diagnosed with breast cancer where she would travel to Clairvoyd Community Hospital for treatments in Maryland. So we just kind of yada yada through like a lot there, but it a lot of this stuff will make sense when we start getting into uh, getting into the crime and everything. So this is generally just the backstory of it leads us up to you know the events that we're going to discuss. Just laying a foundation right. yeah. here. So in 1994, Burke was seven years old at the time. He hit John Bonet in the cheek with a golf club on accident, which left a scar on her cheek. She would have been, what, four at this time then? Right. And shortly after, she underwent plastic surgery at a surgeon in Denver to get rid of that scar. Oof. I mean, are we hinting at the potential of her brother causing violence to her? It's a theory we'll, we'll get into eventually. In December of 1994, the Ramsey's home is one of seven homes in the area to be included in the historic homes for the holidays tour. Approximately 1,500 people participated in a tour of the Ramsey's property and house. Mm. So you got 1,500 people, strangers, coming in this house and walking around. Would you ever do that? No. No, nor would I. It's crazy. Yep. I hated just, you know, selling my house and having the realtor take potential buyers through there. I had severe anxiety from that. Yeah. Not just because Mike lived next door either. <laughs> Some like those people in my house. <laughs> but I, mean, I had severe anxiety about who was going to buy that house. <laughs> and it panned out, right? Yeah, great. <laughs> Real nice. So there are like 40 people living in that house now? At least. <laughs> Pretty sure at this point the kitchen has bedrooms in it. My poor house. (laughs) Yeah. So right off the bat there, you got 1,500 strangers coming in this house. Doing God knows what. It's already opening the door for Mm -hmm. a lot of of potential suspects for what we're going to get into. In April of 1995, JonBenet Ramsey wins the Colorado State All-Star Kids Pageant. Is this kind of the beauty pageant type thing that yes. she's known for yes and we can we can just just hit this because it's the first one i feel like i don't i don't want to victim blame but you would have to know sexualizing your child like that in front of a bunch of people is just inviting i don't disagree well, i don't think it's victim blaming it's you know she's four years old it's the mother of the victim blame yeah which but if you're putting makeup on your child like what there there's no other way to win the contest. You know what I mean? If it was based on talent or something, you mm-hmm. just wear whatever you wanted and mm-hmm. go up there. It's specifically I think a looks. Portion though, right? Yeah, but they don't win. But what are you judging? I, I don't know. I don't know how it works. You, I mean, realistically, if a girl went up there just wearing a normal girl's outfit with no makeup on, she would not win. Right. So it's you know. Right. So you have people judging a child off of their looks. It's just it's, it's a little weird. unsavory. It's gross. I agree. It I is know. gross. It's it very is. strange. And it's specifically American, the whole idea of it, because um there's kind there are lots of countries where it's banned, and specifically France, they have a complete countrywide ban on it. Mm. Yeah. It's just I don't know. Trying to put yourself in that situation, why you would want to do that. Are most of those parents that, that put their daughters in that, like prior beauty pageant? queens themselves like in have this you seen scenario? honey boo boo's mom she's not winning any pageants <laughs> come on now 
Well, I mean, Patsy was, so that makes yeah. sense in her case, you know. But in the other thing, with I do Patsy, think there's a lot of that. I yeah. would imagine so. Yeah, generational type thing. I just can't imagine wanting to put your kid up there like that. It's very strange. Even for the sake of who wants their kid judged like that, you know, even not sexualizing it like on your looks when yeah, you're I four, I want like that. Yeah. What the fuck want to put is that? that? On them. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think about. It. I had something to say. I can't remember. Come on, Ian. It's like the most fired up you get about something. Yeah, I was very irritated with a lot of this stuff. This whole thing really irritated me, especially when we'll get into part two with um, all the tabloid nonsense of this and how everybody just seems to have, like the like I said in the beginning, their own agenda to push with this stuff. Um, yeah, it's just, it's it's really, really weird, the whole idea of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I completely agree. It's disturbing. Because you know, you know some of the people like, like a ju- like the judges, like the, there are guy judges there, male like judges. judging how hot a four year old is, essentially, <laughs> right? Like yeah. who? I don't know how like, the judging works that? for the kids. Like I don't know what they like. Do they do like a bathing suit competition, like they do in the adult ones? Oh yeah, yes. I think so. Yeah, yeah, that's just wild. They with, wear with like tons of fucking Tammy Faye Baker makeup, mm-hmm. right? I, I get. I think so. It's completely disturbing. Their hair all done up. They got the fake teeth in, right? They make them like the um. Their teeth look bigger and white or whatever they do. Oh my god, they do that too. I, I don't know. I just assume they did. I, I don't know. I didn't watch. <laughs> I didn't watch any of the. I saw the a little one. bit of the Honey Boo Boo stuff, but I don't really remember what they did. Mm. Fake teeth. I didn't know that. Jesus. Let me look. Let me it's very. Uh, I mean, if you're trying to win, why would you not? Just to have like big pearly white teeth. Why would you not do it? What are you googling? Hot four year olds with no, fake I'm gonna teeth. Put in <laughs> pageant. But you know the other thing too with that with the kids what I was this is what I was thinking of earlier no 4 year old is going to be this is on your point of parents you know being prior ones no like no 4 year old is going to be like you know what I want to do I want to go up there and and wear all this stuff and do like that's it's all you know yeah, and, and- and I think the response from the parent is always, you know, she's the one pushing to do this. She wants to do this. Yeah, because she wants to please your dumbass. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, my God. They do have fake teeth. Oh, that's so bizarre. I showed Dave the photo I just pulled up. Like they're putting on like those. I don't. I forget what they're called. Grills, yeah. essentially, but it's just like <laughs> grills, like big caps they put on teeth to give you like that big pearly white like smile. Oh, my God. So disturbing. Yeah, look. You look at some of these pictures; they just look like fake plastic Barbie dolls. That's terrible. So that's that's my spiel on. Uh, I, I completely agree on that. So October of 1995, John Bonet was crowned Little Miss Colorado Sunburst, and John Ramsey was the winner of the Entrepreneur of Distinction Award. Had a big month for that family. Yeah, yeah, very uh, very successful. I was nine years old. I wasn't winning shit. Neither you weren't in beauty pageants. I was not. You were beating your Hulk Hogan doll up in your room, <laughs> yeah. pinning them every time. Hey, no, I, I lost. I just said I never won. <laughs> Put him over, man. The April 1996 issue of Women's Magazine profiled Patsy Ramsey. This article included a lot of her personal information, but it also included a lot of personal information about John and the kids. So you got fifteen hundred people coming in the house, and now you have a, a pretty per- a, personal article being written. They're per- like a high-profiled family. Mm-hmm. The spotlights on them and their home, which is strange with John being involved in the defense business. 
Usually keep a low profile. Yeah. Tony Stark didn't. True. Very true. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) Fictional characters (laughs) prove this all wrong. In July of 1996, John Bonet won America's Royale Tiny Miss and in the following month finished second at the Sunburst National Pageant. This pageant was held in Atlanta, Georgia, and that that was a big one. There was a lot of a lot of people there. So she's flying across the country, you know. Yeah, to compete in these national pageants. On Saturday, November thirtieth, nineteen ninety six, John Ramsey hosts a surprise fortieth birthday party for Patsy, and this is for sure a surprise because her actual birthday wasn't until December. Is that relevant? That it was a surprise or? I don't know if you were like oh no I'm just like a fact oh no no I'm just saying it was a it was a surprise just because her we don't skip details in here (laughs) just didn't know if the fact that it was a real legit facts matter Mike facts matter pop up later nope that's just a fact for you all to take home for free (laughs) on December 6, 1996 during the lights of December parade John Bonet appeared in her own Little Miss Colorado float. This is just your standard town parade with floats sponsored by local businesses, high school band, all that shit. Just your standard stuff. Uh, Burke was also in this parade, too. On December 13th, 1996, the Ramseys host a large Christmas party that was attended by more than 150 of their friends from church. So there's another 150 people. At their house. Right. On December 17th, 1996... John Bonet was crowned Colorado's Little Miss Christmas, and this is again another really large pageant that she participated in. So I guess she was good at it. I guess I saw something somewhere said that she could just like freeze, mm. like what a, a six-year-old should not be able to do, like just pose and like not oh, move. I was like, "What is mm. that good?" But like pose and like not move her face, just completely freeze. She was a little child prodigy. Mm. There was an article. I can't remember the name of the magazine. She was, I, I, I should have included this. I can't remember the na- name of the magazine, but it was one of those national um, beauty pageant, child beauty pageant magazines. That's one we were talking about before we were recording where I said if, if, if you worked for the sex crimes unit, you could just put a trace on whoever buys that magazine and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and just be like, hey, follow that guy. <laughs> but, uh, she was featured in that as like this up and coming, like she would be really successful in the future. Mm, so it's interesting. Yeah. Sometime in December of 1996, according to the police, John Bonet tells a gardener, Brian Scott, that she really misses her father and wishes he was around more. So a six year old's out talking to the gardener? I guess. Mm. If he's around every day, though, it might just become a family friend. Yeah. I, suppose. yeah, I saw an interview with him. He was. It sounded like he was there all the time. Yeah, okay. On December 20th, 1996, the Ramseys had two events going on. Access Graphics had a luncheon party and a celebration for more than 300 of their employees at the Hotel Boulderado, and John Bonet participated in a school performance at High Peaks Elementary School. Patsy went, she attended John Bonet's performance instead of going to the luncheon. The Access Graphics luncheon and the performance went on at the same time. So that's why she decided to go to the mm-hmm. go to John Bonet's thing. The luncheon for Access Graphics was in celebration for the company hitting its first billion dollar year. 
John Ramsey was on board for the party, but he would later say that he had like just this bad gut feeling about the PR team wanting to go out and do press for it. What's that mean? Like just, wanting to PR the billion dollar year and like right. publicizing that and having a, a big to do about it. Right. He figured he thought later on thinking back on it, like it put um kind of put a target on him. And like we were saying, or like we said earlier, you know, or you said low profile, you're in yeah. the defense business. Yeah. There's going to be people that don't like you. Sure. You know, and then you're out, your company's flaunting a billion dollar year. Yeah. I see what you mean. Can we also talk about the fucking schedule this family keeps up? Yeah, right. This is exhausting. <laughs> We're only going through November and December, and they've done more than I've done in the last three years. Right. When do they have time to binge to binge watch TV shows? Right. They're not going to watch Breaking Bad. They left their house more in one day than you do in six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's which that's is twice. <laughs> they left twice in one day. <laughs> that's more. That's accurate. I'm kidding. Yeah. How the hell would they ever watch Breaking Bad? They'd never get through it. Wouldn't. No. It's crazy. I guess when you're the head guy at a billion dollar company, you got a busy life. Rich people don't watch TV. They're oh, successful. They make TV. They don't waste their time. Yeah. But yeah, so he had this, he, he said, said that he had a bad feeling about it. On December 21st, the Daily Camera Business Magazine publishes an article on access graphics reaching a billion dollars. On December 22nd, John Bonet performed in a beauty pageant at the Southwest Plaza Mall. Shortly after this, Patsy sent out the family's annual Christmas letter to friends and family. Dear friends and family, it's been another busy year at the Ramsey household. Can't believe it's almost over and time to start again. Melinda, 24, graduated from Medical College of Georgia and is working in pediatric ICU at Kennestone Hospital in Atlanta. John Andrew, 20, is a sophomore at the University of Colorado. Burke is a busy fourth grader where he really shines in math and spelling. He played flag football this fall and is currently on a basketball binge. His little league team was number one. He's lost just about all of his baby teeth, so I'm sure we'll be seeing the orthodontist in 1997. John Bonet is enjoying her first year in real school. Kindergarten in the core knowledge program is fast-paced and five full days a week. She has been moved ahead to first grade math. She continues to enjoy participating in talent and modeling pageants. She was named America's Royale Tiny Miss last summer and is Colorado's Little Miss Christmas. Her teacher says she is so outgoing that she will never have trouble delivering an oral book report. John is always on the go, traveling, hither and yon. Access recently celebrated its $1 billion mark in sales, so he's pretty happy. He and his crew were underway in the Port Huron to Mackinac Island yacht race in July, but had to pull out midway due to lack of wind. Can you believe that? But his real love is the new old-looking boat, Grand Season, which he spent months designing. I spend most of my free time working in the school and doing volunteer work. The Charlevoix House was on the home tour in July and will likely appear in one of the Better Home and Gardens publications in 1997. On a recent trip to New York City, my friend and I appeared amid the throng of fans on the Today Show. Al Roker and Brian actually talked to us, and we were on camera for a few fleeting moments. We are all enjoying continued good health and look forward to seeing you in 1997. One final note, thank you to all my friends and my dear husband for surprising me with the biggest, most outrageous 40th birthday bash I've ever had. 
will be spending my actual birthday on the Disney Big Red Boat over the new year. Merry Christmas and much love, the Ramses. Puke. (laughs) (laughs) The big does she have a lot of fortieth birthday bashes? If that was the most outrageous one she ever had. Well, maybe so. Those pageant people, every year it's their fortieth birthday. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. A little obnoxious. I I, I've never gotten a uh, a letter before from anybody. I'm going to write one just for you next year. All right. I'll give you an update on everybody. Just let me know what's going on. Yeah. Sounds good. Not that we don't talk almost all day, every day. Yeah, yeah text. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have much to write about. <laughs> I left the house on, in, on July 14th, went to Speedway. <laughs> Played some Call of Duty. <laughs> it was a good year. <laughs> So then on uh, on November 23rd, the Ramseys hosted another Christmas party with approximately 30 guests attending with former journalism professor Bill McReynolds playing Santa Claus. This Bill McReynolds guy is considered a Ramsey family friend. It's two Christmas parties in the course of two weeks for those of you keeping <laughs> count at home. It's exhausting. Yeah, I would, Yeah, man, I'd be like, I don't know. I'd be done. I host one party, like Daytona. We, we talked about it. What was that? The Patriot? Well, that was yeah. this episode. Yeah. I can't keep track anymore with the recording. One party a year and I'm exhausted. I don't want people in my house again. <laughs> to be fair, I don't think the Ramseys were starting drinking at 1030 in the morning, though. Well, they're not partying right. <laughs> I don't think they were getting blown <laughs> out. Because I specifically remember shotgunning beers at your party <laughs> the last time. You I come to there. a NASCAR party, you shot <laughs> some beers. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the Ramseys were shotgunning beers. Well, or cooking their own food or anything either. It's yeah, also absolutely true. Absolutely not. Catered affair. Yeah. Probably had valet parking too. They did, 100%. Of course they did. So in hindsight, a very strange detail about this party. At 6.47 p.m., someone placed a call to 911 that was answered by police dispatcher Therese Hillary. The caller hung up without saying anything, and the police called back, but when they did, no one answered, and the call was picked up by the Ramsey's answering machine. As a result, an officer went to the home at 6.54 p.m. and was invited in and then left at 7.09 p.m. after being assured that there was no emergency. Hmm. So, Yeah, that's strange. That's odd. It happens, but... Theory is that if the killer was at this party, they called 911 to see how fast it would take the police to get there. Interesting. Or it could have been one of the kids fucking around because mm. there were other kids at this party too. Someone could have thought they were funny and yeah, it's still a strange tidbit. Yeah. In hindsight, it's, it's a weird, uh, a weird detail. And the cop got there pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't take long. There are a few details how this next part has been reported, but the person playing Santa Claus got a tour of the house from John Benet Ramsey. Some reports say that it happened in 1996 some say it happened in 1995. Regardless, Bill McReynolds was considered a family friend of the Ramseys and wasn't just somebody that was hired to play Santa Claus. It's also said that John Bonet gave Bill McReynolds a gift, and he would say years later that out of all the times he played Santa Claus, John Bonet was the only child to give him a gift. So, what's going on here? This will get a little strange, and we'll get into this when we get into the suspects. On Christmas Eve, December 24th, an article appeared in the Daily Camera about the Ramsey's Christmas party, which, I, I don't know, this it sounded like this magazine was just reporting on them all the time. Yeah, if they're reporting on their Christmas party. Yeah, that's odd. Right. Damn. 
Also on December 24th, John Bonet played at a friend's house named Megan Kostinek and told Megan's mother, Barbara, about a secret visit from Santa. And this wasn't her just going up saying Santa's going to visit me. There was a discussion between Megan's mother, Barbara, and John Bonet. Barbara questioned John Bonet as to when Santa was going to pay her this, this secret visit. And Barbara stated that John Bonet explained to her it wasn't going to be the normal Santa visit. It was going to be after Christmas. <laughs> That's creepy. So, but your mind immediately jumps to Bill McReynolds because we just we just touched on him a little bit. But you keep in mind how many Santa Clauses she saw leading up to this. There was the Lights of December parade. There was a Santa Claus there. She did the beauty pageant at the mall. There was a Santa Claus there. And I'm sure somewhere else along the line, she saw other Santa Clauses. Well, I'm sure any pageant that takes place in the holiday season has a Santa there, right? Probably. That you know, makes sense. We're keeping you up, Mike? Yeah. <laughs> it's past my bedtime. No, it's not. That's just a very specific yeah. conversation to have with a six-year-old that yeah. this special Santa or whatever is going to visit me right later. Mm. And it could be something as innocent as if it, if Bill McReynolds did say that, like it could be something as innocent as him saying like, oh yeah, I'll, we'll make a special visit for you or something just to. Yeah. But, did she know that it was Bill McReynolds being Santa or did she not actually know that? I, I don't know. I don't think there's any, you know. Like I'm wondering if she thought it was the real Santa at her house or right. did she know, mm-hmm. oh, that's our friend that's good Bill. Question. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure on that. Because you would think then maybe in being questioned by Barbara, she would have mentioned, oh, no, my friend Bill said he's going to come back, you know, if that were the case. Right. Which she didn't do. Regardless, there's a lot of coincidences starting to pile up. Yeah, pretty pretty quick already. Later in the day on December 24th, the Ramses attended the twilight service at St. John's Episcopal Church in Boulder, Colorado around 9 p.m. That's the best church service of the year. Is it? No. <laughs> oh no, it's horrible. I think they're the long ones. I never had to go to like a Christmas Eve mass. Did you? I remember going to midnight mass before, which is like Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, right? Yeah, like midnight. It's like at midnight, you're like, I want to be home so fucking Santa can come over. Why right. am I at mass? And it's like two hours long or something. It's horrible. Church is hard enough to stay up for in the middle of the day, let alone the middle of the night. All that kneeling and standing and sitting and kneeling, just get on with it. I'm so glad I didn't have a religious upbringing. <laughs> I never had to do the religious or the holiday ones, but I always just heard they were the long, long shit. Terrible. I went to church twice a year with my just to make my grandma happy. I went on Easter and then around Christmas time, but specifically Easter. Was Easter Palm Easter Sunday, was whatever. Palm. The, yeah, Palm Sunday. No, Methodist. It wasn't. You guys just cut to the chase. Yeah, it's like an hour. Not bad. Two times a year is plenty. It was enough for me. I bet. <laughs> Once they got home, John Ramsey gets a brand new silver bi- girl's bicycle that was stored at a neighbor's garage, and he put it under the Christmas tree for John Bonet. Then both John and Patsy get other Christmas gifts out of their basement and place these under the tree as well. On December 25th, 1996, around 6 a.m., the Ramseys wake up and do the normal Christmas morning stuff, opening gifts and eat breakfast. At noon, John left the house to go and check on the airplane because they had a flight planned for early next morning. And of course, I mean, they have their own plane. Of course. (laughs) Sometime between 2 and 3 p.m., John returned back home from checking on the plane. 
between 5 and 6 p.m., the Ramseys left their house, um, and this is all four of them, John, Patsy, Burke, and John Bonet, and they head to the home of their friends Fleet and Priscilla White for a Christmas party. Fleet? Yeah. That just, that you know how I was taught one? I'm just saying I don't give a fuck. You know how I was saying the other day that I was at that party where some people took themselves too seriously? Yeah. <laughs> they should have. That, that that sounds like what Fleet would be like. A guy named Fleet. Yeah. Hello, Ann. Fleet White. <laughs> Damn glad to meet you, son. <laughs> Isn't that the name of an enema? Fleet enema? I just think of a fleet of boats. Yeah. Fleet of douchebags. <laughs> I don't know. A fleet enema? I've never heard of that. No. Maybe I'm, I think it is though. <laughs> just, just stick with it. I don't just know why that. I know that, but <laughs> the Ramseys left this party at an unknown time, and on the drive home from the party, John Benet and her brother Burke fell asleep in the car. Of course she did. They kept her up at mass till or church till freaking midnight mm-hmm. almost the night before. And, and these kids have been, or especially her. I don't know really Burke's schedule but john benet has been uh non-stop oh, since pageant, we started pageants. this timeline yeah. <laughs> yeah poor kid just needs to take a break the ramsey's made some stops along the way to drop off gifts to Stuart and roxy walker's home and then to glenn and susan stein's house because we don't know exactly what time they left the party and what time these stops took place we also don't know exactly what time the ramsey's got back to their house they claim it was between 9 and 9.30 p.m. And there, there are several stories about what took place once the Ramseys got home. One of these stories says that John put John Benet to bed and then went and played a game with Burke until he went to sleep. Why are there several versions of the story? Well, John would later on, he, he recanted some of this huh. and said that he never said this stuff. So, like, the Ramseys reported to the Boulder Police Department officers that John Bonet was last seen by Patsy in their home at approximately 10 p.m. According to Boulder Police Department Detective Linda Arndt, John Ramsey said that John Bonet was last seen by him at approximately 10 p.m. Regardless, both of these statements put her as last being seen at 10 p.m., but you have Patsy saying, I saw her, and John saying, no, I saw mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. According to accounts, John carried... John Benet to her bed, and that's where he would say goodnight. Then, supposedly, this is where Patsy Ramsey comes in to check on her and says goodnight to her as well. John would tell Boulder police officers separately that he read both John Benet and Burke stories before they went to bed, but then he would later recant that statement. So he's saying he, they're initially saying that he carried her up. She was asleep this whole time and carried her up to bed. Then he told the police separately that he no, he wrote, read them both books but then said no. He, he, he recanted, recanted that. that. I mean, is it just the trauma of what happened that you kind of misremember? I could see that. I'm only basing it off what I've read so far, and mm-hmm. I think that's very plausible. If you went through that yeah. trauma, you can get things mixed up, but I don't know the rest of the story. It just, to me, I feel like you would remember if you carried her up or if she was still awake and you read a story to her. But you could have feel carried like that's her pretty up, put her in bed, and then she wakes up because of all the movement and says, oh, read me a story. She, I mean, that I think that's plausible. And then maybe the next day when he's going through all this trauma, he's mixed up or confused. Yeah. The recanting thing's kind of odd, but I don't know. I don't think I could put myself in that mindset. Yeah, exactly right. 
there's a lot of judging that goes on in this, especially towards them, that it's like you don't know how you would feel mm-hmm. in that situation. So I don't know. I feel like it's a pretty specific memory, but, you know, everything going on, you could you could mix it up. Yeah, I see that. Around 10 to 10.30 p.m., Patsy goes to bed, and according to Patsy's statement, John comes to bed about 15 minutes later. John and Patsy both claim that they were not awakened during the night, and it's worth noting that John Ramsey took a sleep medication, which was a normal thing for him. So he's out. Yeah. They also did not set their home alarm system, which had become a normal thing because the kids kept setting it off. And I guess the 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 reasoning is that the bill racks up, but because if you set it off, isn't that they they charge you for that, don't they? Yeah, but like it's more expensive. You're the C. You're you're the president chief executive of a fucking billion dollar company oh, I, I agree it's probably not a wise move or were the police sent out numerous times i believe the police were sent out too numerous times so they might be we'll getting be part pissed. of it yeah and yeah, that's true like, plus look a, asshole plus a fake Stop. Ni- a fake 911 call they're like seriously we're tired of yeah. coming out here so maybe not the monetary aspect maybe the police are like hey knock it off pal yeah we're gonna tell you the same thing we told fleet don't make us come back out here again <laughs> right but you know and, and that's not even that bizarre to me either that they didn't set it that they didn't set it because i know from personal experience angie's mom has an alarm system and when we visit there and we take max with us we have to let him outside um max is my dog so we we let max when when we let max outside she's just like i'm not gonna turn on the alarm because you're gonna be letting him out at night and stuff yeah so she leaves it off sure so i think it i mean it's not strange to not at all to leave it off for certain things on december 26th sometime around midnight neighbor scott Gibbons said he looked out his kitchen window toward the ramsey's house and saw the upper kitchen lights were on and dimmed low what's an upper kitchen? i wish my house had an upper kitchen yeah that'd be nice right yeah that was what time did we say around midnight midnight so that's two hours after they went to bed or an hour and a half after they allegedly went to bed yeah According to Boulder Detective Steve Thomas, neighbor Melody Stanton says that she heard a scream between midnight and 2 a.m. I mean, that's that's a huge red flag, but it's worth noting that this woman did say in the in the very beginning of the investigation that she had nothing to offer and didn't want to get involved. And then after everything got all publicized mm-hmm. and real... Oh, suddenly I recall hearing a scream. Yeah, so... Although these houses, I mean, these are giant houses. They're not little, you know, 900 square foot bungalows on top of each other. Could you even hear someone scream? They did a forensics thing with that. And from the bottom of the house, the basement, you couldn't hear it from the Ramsey's bedroom, the the master suite. You couldn't hear a scream. Yeah. From the basement. But Dave's saying from another house. Oh, could a neighbor even hear that? I could scream as loud as I can sitting here. I don't think your neighbor could could hear that probably not no yeah. and, and, it's, and, and it's december winters w- windows are closed you yeah. know in colorado it's like the windows are open and you might be able to hear something sure. right and then with this house specifically this house factoring in the basement you're talking eleven thousand square feet that's like 10 of my house <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking crazy so yeah you're not i i, I don't think you would hear that no, i don't either that's a big basement. So it's a 7,000 square foot home. And then with the basement, 11,000 plus a garage. Plus a garage. Yeah. 
at 5.30 a.m., John Ramsey wakes up because the family planned to get up early that morning because they had that flight to uh, Charlevoix, Michigan for the family vacation. While John took a shower, Patsy got up and put on the same outfit she had on the night before and put, put on some makeup, went down to the second floor, and then down the spiral stairs to the kitchen. There's two different versions of this story. There's more different versions. <laughs> Dude, this whole this whole thing is just full of uh it's hard to get the facts straight with this mm. story. So Ian's gonna lay out the versions and you <laughs> listeners at home figure out what you want to go with. It's a choose your own adventure at this point. Yeah, now we're really getting into getting into that kind of stuff. One story says that she went to check on John Bonet on her way downstairs and John Bonet was not there. The other story says that she just went straight downstairs to the ground level floor. Either way, near the bottom of the stairs, she discovered a handwritten note on three sheets of paper laid out side by side. They indicated that John Bonet had been kidnapped. Patsy Ramsey told Detective Arndt that she found a note at the bottom of the staircase at approximately 5.45 a.m. She said she only read a few lines stating that John Bonet was kidnapped, but safe and unharmed in demanding $118,000 for her return. Patsy immediately screamed and then ran to check John Bonet's room, which she found to be empty. After hearing Patsy scream, John ran downstairs and met Patsy. Together, they checked on Burke, who was still asleep in his room. John went downstairs to read the ransom note, and he told Patsy to call the police at 5.52 a.m. That's what, seven minutes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's too long or anything. I know some people judge that, but that doesn't seem that long to read a three page note, try and figure out what's going on. No, because I agree with that. It's a lot. Yeah. In a traumatized state. Right. It gets, ju- it's, and it's early morning. You're, first of all, you're walking down the steps slow. Right. Maybe she's checking on John or allegedly checking on John Bonet or the fir- one version says that she checked on her on her way downstairs. But, and but she, then clearly she wasn't there. Right. So if she checked she, on her, what did she see? One version says she checked on her on the way down, didn't see her, kept walking down, then found the note. Other story says she walked straight down, found the note, went up to check on her, and she wasn't there. Gotcha. Okay. Seven minutes seems plausible. I think so. I think so, too. To group everything together, like what's happening, and then call the police. Even just to string it together in your mind and kind of, you know. Right. I mean, she just got dressed. If you go off of their, if they're telling the truth. dressed, too. Yeah. You know, you're just waking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll be right back. We like to drink beer. A lot of it. After a long night of drinking and talking crime and conspiracies, there's nothing that wakes us up and gets us ready to start the day better than just brew coffee. With a great selection of roast levels to choose from, you're guaranteed to find one that suits your style. Small batch roasted to highlight the unique features of each coffee bean, Just Brew Coffee caters to both casual and hardcore coffee drinkers alike. Since 2010, Just Brew Coffee has worked tirelessly to perfect the roasting process and technique, which has resulted in seriously delicious, always flavorful, and never bitter-tasting coffee. If you're already drinking JBC, raise your mug. If you're not, raise your standards. Check them out in social media and remember, they roast, you just brew. Check out their new online store at youjustbrew.com and up your coffee game today. Use code NECRO15 to receive 15% off your order of two pounds or more. All right, so here is the 911 call. There's conspiracy stuff and debates on if there's more to the call, if there's not. This is what's out there for the call. Are you 
left in our daughter's gun. A note was left in your daughter's yes. gun? How old is your daughter? She's six years old. She's blonde. Six years old. How long ago was it? I don't know. I just found the note. Oh my God, Does it say who took her? What? Does it say who took her? I don't know. It's, there's, a, there's a ransom note here. It's a ransom note? It says FBTC. Victory. Please. Okay, what's your name? Are you Kathy Ramsey? I'm the mother. Oh my God! Please. I'm, okay, I'm sending an officer over, okay? Please. Do you know how long she's been gone? No, I don't. Please, we just got out. Is she right here? Oh my God, please. Okay, somebody. I am, honey. Please. Take a deep breath. Please. Okay. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Kathy? 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 What's your guys' first thoughts on the call? You've never listened to it before, right? I don't think I have. No. You you obviously have not. It's extremely upsetting. <laughs> yeah, and I'm alone calls aren't, aren't fun to listen it to. It sounds like at the end there, she puts the phone down and is walking away talking to herself. Right, and that's highly debated. We're, we'll get into that. It sounds like she just puts the phone down and she, she runs off. And yeah. Says something. It also seems like she's like winded, almost like she's moving around or running through the house. Like maybe looking for her, I don't know, but it it sounds like she's out of breath, like from like and like in the process of running and moving. I don't know. I think it sounds a little scripted, personally. Yeah, yeah. What part? All of it. The whole thing. Yeah. That's my first take on that. She hmm. gets a lot of. There's a lot of uh, criticism because she never says John Bonet's name, but. In all fairness to that, the 911 operator never asks her what her name is. Okay. So I put that in a in a good column, I guess, whatever, for, for Patsy. I don't know how saying their name on the... You want the police coming to your house. Right. Giving the police your the name at that point is not going to solve anything. That's the other thing that people put in her favor is she doesn't, uh, she doesn't mess around with trying to tell the story first she immediately says we need the police here okay instead of like trying to get out like here's the story here's what happened let's cover my bases because there's no other reason to call you know what i mean you're calling for help so Mm. and you don't want to waste time explaining it to the dispatcher just get someone here Right. right the other thing that people point out that's strange is where the operator says okay what's your name and then are you Kath? Are you Catholic? She's going to say, are you Kathy? Unless, did she already say her name earlier? Maybe she misheard Pat's for Kath or Patsy for Kathy. I mean, that's, that could be an easy mix up. Did they ever ask the dispatcher? What well, that's what I'm to looking say? to see at no point in the transcript. Did she refer to herself as Patsy already? So why is the dispatcher asking if it's her name's Kathy? Right. And as far as I know, when there was um, the investigation, the grand jury stuff, the 911, for whatever reason, the 911 operator was never called for any information. Really? Yeah. Seems like someone you would call. Yeah. Yeah. Be like, hey, I was on that that phone call. That is weird. That Kathy Mm. thing's weird. Yeah, that's if she had already said her name was Patsy once, you could you could understand maybe she misheard. Right. But she didn't. So why is she saying Kathy? 
why is she why is she assuming what the name is it, it some people just say it's inaudible that you're just hearing it because she does get cut off as she's saying yeah it. and that could be too yeah but this but they is the official this. transcript that i put in here so yeah. it has are and, you cath and as we're about to get into this has been analyzed by the best of the best yeah organizations that have analyzed the car the fbi the secret service aerospace corporation Los Alamos National Laboratory, company called Legal Audio, uh, one called Team Audio, Professional Audio Laboratories, and then CBS slash Critical Content. They've all taken their a crack at this. And it's mainly about at the end when Patsy either just drops the phone or thinks she hung up the phone and it didn't actually hang up is what are you hearing at the end of that phone call? And the big dispute is whether it's Burke's or John's voice can be heard at the end of the tape. Not one of the two, but whether or not you hear either of them. Right. And this, people point to this as this is proof that the Ramseys were lying about that morning morning because people, or because they stand by the statements that Burke was asleep when this 911 call was made. So technically you shouldn't even be hearing him on the, the 911 tape. Right. The National Enquirer leaked the aerospace findings in a world exclusive appearing in its September 1st, 1998 issue. Quote, Boulder detective Melissa Hickman took the tape to the Aerospace Corporation for enhancement. Their experts enhanced the tape. At first they heard Patsy saying, quote, help me Jesus, help me Jesus. And Burke saying, quote, please, what do I do? According to a source. At the, that's at the end of the tape. Right. Mm. I feel like the help me Jesus, help me Jesus, we can almost, you can't really hear, but it makes sense based on what we heard when we listened to that call. After further analysis, they heard three distinct voices, then gave the enhanced recording to Detective Hickman. Quote, Hickman heard John Ramsey say, quote, we're not speaking to you in what sounded like a very angry voice, the source said. Quote, Patsy then says, Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. And finally, Burke is clearly heard to say, quote, well, what did you find? With an emphasis on the word did. Well, what did you find? Right. So they heard all of that. They heard John saying, we're not speaking to you. And Patsy saying, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. And then Burke saying, well, what did you find? They heard all of that at the end of the call. Yeah. Is what the, this is who, this was the, uh. This was aerospace. This is still the aerospace one that the National Enquirer leaked. Right. Which changes the whole scenario of the whole story. So A hundred percent. Especially if it's saying, what did you find? Yeah. And if the kid's awake, because he's, I mean, they've always stood by that, that mm-hmm. he was asleep. When the original leak appeared in 1998, the Boulder Daily Camera reported, quote, the general content of this transcript in the supermarket tabloid is accurate, according to sources familiar with the investigation. But the same article also reported, quote, spokeswoman for the Boulder Police and the Boulder County District Attorney's Office would not comment on the 911 tape from December 26, 1996. So somewhere they have a source there that's saying it's accurate. Mm-hmm. The police are saying not. So let's go ahead and listen to it. See if you the guys. End of the, this is the end of the call. This is the end here. of the call. And this is, there's debate on if the enhanced one has ever been public or not. So I was going to ask that. We are not listening to an enhanced one. We It says it is, but we don't know. 
Oh, so it says like, this is the enhanced version. Supposedly. CBS supposedly said that they had it, and right. there's debate on if they did or not. That second part of that, I didn't hear anything. You want to hear it again? Yeah, let's do it again. I don't hear anything. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, do you, Ian? I feel like I hear, what did you do? Hmm. But I don't know in the beginning. But there is no what did you do. Right. That's just what it sounds like to me. I mean, At the very beginning of that part, that clip we played. Right. I feel like I can hear the help me Jesus, help me Jesus. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely voices. Like, yeah, like I hear, yeah. I think that's. I, it makes sense. I can't hear the help me Jesus, but it sounds like her voice kind of in that help me Jesus, help me yeah, Jesus. I hear that. Yeah. yeah. I don't see how, if that's the enhanced version, if that's truly it, how you claim to hear three distinct voices right you know what i mean well we're also three drunks sitting in a basement we're not <laughs> you know experts yeah. on this i don't that's that's crazy hmm. hmm i don't know what i hear i do and that I, second part of it i definitely don't hear i anything. don't hear anything there i no. get the first part with the cadence of, yeah. of the please or the jesus help me stuff jesus, help yeah. me jesus but but that's it like, that's if I didn't have that written in front of me, I wouldn't say, oh, that's what she's saying. I right. agree. I it, agree. It matches the cadence of, of how that would sound. Like. Right, as she's walking in the distance. Yeah. Yeah. In like, A&E had a documentary where they did this. They were, like, going all, you know, super hard on it. And they had subtitles with what they, what they think it was saying. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you could put any very... I feel like you could put any similar variation on it, and you throw subtitles in there, and you're going to hear it. People will hear it, sure. Yeah. Let's do it one more time. You want it one more time? One more time. Listen for the what did you do? At the right at, at the beginning? Like a couple seconds in. <clears throat> All right. I did hear it that time. It sounds like a guy saying, What did you do? I heard something something that would sound similar like that. Yeah. yeah like yeah. that cadence it might not be that exact sentence but it mm. kind of sounds like that mm. so. so what would that lend to that's john yelling at burke yeah maybe or someone else in the house if you subscribe to the theory and i know i'm jumping way yeah. ahead so we can we can hold that up but i just didn't know you know ba- he's yelling he's at th- someone clearly if he's yelling at Burke, it means that they've they've lied at this point. Yeah, because they they stand by the fact that Burke was asleep. Okay, so let's get into what what everybody found here. Professional Audio Laboratories analysis: the revised transcript from this analysis showed a few new words at the beginning of the tape and following the keyboard typing heard at the end of the tape has a quote unknown female saying "Help me Jesus" three times in succession. What they did not find. This lab found no evidence of Burke's or John's voices at the end of the tape, nor did it find any evidence of alteration of the tape or mechanical sounds. Hmm. 
I don't know. I don't know if I'm just looking for something, but I feel like I really hear a guy's voice in there. I can't tell. I, I don't I don't think there's enough for, for me to confidently say that yeah, it is. Right. I think there you hear something, but I mean, who knows? Could be the dishwasher running in the background that you kind of just hear and it makes it sound like it's a, a voice. You right. Know? Other than the the help me Jesus, that's the only thing that makes perfect sense to me. And if that's the case, then I don't I mean that would make sense for her to say that she's a religious woman. Sure. So, right. And she's terrified and yeah, not out of place at all. The FBI and secret service analysis, they both reportedly examined the tape to determine whether there were extra sounds at the end of the tape, if they were human voices and they were unable to identify any voices at all. They say there is nothing in there. Not even the help me Jesus. Not even that. Hmm. That's interesting. Hmm. Well, clearly there's something. Yeah. You would think, but they say, no, there's nothing in there. Okay. CBS and Critical Content claim to have played the re-enhanced version of the call in their recent documentary, but this has been proven to just be the same analysis from the Aerospace Corporation back in 1997. And this is kind of where I was saying earlier that everybody seems to have their own agenda and like fudge facts with this thing. Like, why are you going to say that? Why are you going to do that? Why, you know, why are you going to be like, oh, it's just for ratings. I get that. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you know, don't don't fucking lie about it. Just say this is the tape. You lose credibility for the rest of your show, right? Yeah. If you're forging one, if you're faking one piece of it. Yeah. With that, let's get into uh, to the ransom note. Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills, and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate size attache to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can... Try to deceive us, but be warned we are familiar with law enforcement, countermeasures, and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions, and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny, as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good Southern common sense of yours. It's up to you now, John. Victory, SBTC. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Going back to the 911 tape for a second, 
when the non when the nine one one operator asks her who's the note from, she says SBTC, and then she says victory. John Douglas from the FBI, the the uh, the profiling unit, he says that he he fully believes that the Ramseys have nothing to do with this, and that they didn't write this note. They didn't they don't have anything to do with it. He said it makes sense because she's skimming the note for who wrote it at the end, where someone would naturally sign. And she looks at the bottom, says SBTC. That doesn't make sense. So she goes up to the next line, says victory. Mm-hmm. I get that makes sense. I wouldn't have thought of that, really. I mean, what does it prove, though? That she didn't write the note. That she was, I think his point was that she was just looking quickly. They asked who wrote it or who it came from. So she skimmed to the end and mm. she read what she thought was where you would see an SBTC, yeah. immediately said, well, that doesn't make sense, said victory. Which would, I mean, that would take either good acting or you legitimately were trying to figure something out. Yeah. I think is what his point probably was. Right. And that and that would mean that she didn't write the note. Because if she wrote the note, she could, you would think she would say something like, I don't know who it's from. It's, it just says SBTC. But I don't know what that means. Or like kind of give a story somewhat behind yeah. that. All right. The thing that immediately stands out of is the length of this ransom note. Typically, they're a f- no more than a few lines long, just enough to get the point across. And as far as I could see, this is the longest ransom note in U.S. history. What's the point? Yeah, There's just a lot going on here. It's a lot of the same threats over and over. Don't a- talk to anybody. Don't try anything funny. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, pulling something at the bank. <clears throat> And it's very movie-like, all that stuff. Yeah. It's from Escape from New York. Do you remember when uh, they went to try to get the president back and the guy came out and he said, if you try to try to invade, he dies. If you try to whatever, he dies. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, and it's, but isn't there, there's a bit from um, Dirty Harry, right? I think the stray dog line is from, is, is that? similar to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of movie stuff in here. Yeah, I agree with that. It would have taken a long time to write this letter. The experts did it at 21 minutes to write this whole letter out. And, I mean, you're really risking yourself being caught at that point. And there's a lot of investigators, and I know John Douglas, going back to him, he believes that it, the person wrote it with their left hand trying to disguise their handwriting. Okay. And that was clocked at 35 minutes with somebody that's right-handed trying to write it with their left hand. So you're you're gonna be in someone's kitchen for 35 minutes with a kitchen light on, right? And have their daughter and be able to sit there for and write this out. That that does not seem. That's just not a plan. No, that's and that's not likely. I think it doesn't make sense. Nothing about this note makes sense at all. No, it doesn't. You start in the beginning of it, and there's misspellings that they also believe were to try and hide the identity of someone who wrote it. Business is misspelled possessions misspelled then you get down to the bottom where a it's telling you make sure you bring a the adequate size attache to the bank (laughs) you wouldn't tell them to bring the right size bag number one and number two i've only heard the word attache when we were doing the db cooper episode for patreon i didn't even know what that fucking word was i wouldn't have known because people don't use the word attache anymore well, and, and I'm going to start calling it. What is it, a duffel bag? It's a briefcase. Oh, all right. I'm going to start calling my work briefcase an attache. 
That's what I call mine. You have fancy pants. Do you? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're going to start to. <laughs> Can I call my cooler a beer that I bring over here every week? My attache? Sure. Okay. It's, it's call whatever you want. All right. But it, and in the note, attache actually had the accent over it too. So why? how are you going to misspell business and possession, mm. but you're going to get attache correct? That doesn't make sense. I actually have a hard time spelling the word possession. Whenever I have to write it out, that word always gets me. It's one oh. of those. That's one of those ones that just gets me. But naturally, you would. But yeah, I mean, know how to spell attaché. No, I mean it's just a weird. And there, it, I wouldn't use that word. I find the last use your good Southern common sense of yours just to be an odd, especially because they're a small thing. foreign faction. Is a foreign faction going to refer to good Southern common sense? Yeah, that's very strange. That, that, that's really odd. That line doesn't make sense at all because. John Ramsey's not from the South. He's not Southern. That's just weird, but though. Who for would like come f- up with that? Yeah. The foreign faction thing is, it, it seems like it's just a number or, or another thing that to throw it off. Yeah, we represent a small foreign faction. No one writes that. No. If it was really a terrorist group, they would say yeah, who they were. Right. And there's other theories or uh, investigators say that that is a misleading thing because it says we are a group and then down after a while it starts to use i mm. so they like slip it's like a kind of like a like a freudian slip or something mm. you know they go back to talking about just them individually but then they go into the two gentlemen watching over your daughter it doesn't it literally nothing about this makes sense at nope. all and as far as it being signed with SBTC, that is just a, it's a complete mystery to this day. And there's no terrorist groups or any foreign things that that would be linked that that's been linked to. It's just made up. And there's there's lots of debate, and we'll get into it on on what exactly that could stand for. It's just it's someone's idea of what a movie ransom note would sound like. Exactly, that, that makes sense. That it, yeah. Not very well put together. No, in like the term like, "fat," you're not the only big fat cat around here, John. Like that sounds like movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The biggest thing with this note, in my opinion, is the fact that whoever wrote this asked for a hundred and eighteen thousand dollars specifically. That is a very specific number. It it, it is, and very. also it doesn't seem like a very large amount given who you're dealing with. You could make the argument that they wouldn't ask for something crazy because it would take time to get that. Like yeah. you can't just go to the bank to pull out 500,000. That's true. But that is such a specific number. You could have asked for 100,000, 150,000. You wouldn't mm-hmm. just write $118,000. Getting into that a little bit and we'll probably get into it later on in either part 2 or part, probably part 3, but John Ramsey's bonus from that year was right around $118,000. Like this was just rounded to take the cents out, mm. which is very strange. You could say maybe somebody saw a pay stub of his sure, in the house and wrote that and figured he could get that money quick. Okay. Possibly. That's, that's because 1,500 people were yeah. walking through the Plus house. Plus that second party with 150 people, or his two Christmas parties with... You one know, had 150 and the other had 30. 100. Okay, so another 180 people. Is that true though? The, the company was doing. He was the CEO of a company that did a billion dollars, and his bonus was only 118 grand. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. 
his net worth at the time was around six million dollars, and he had liability of one million one hundred eighteen thousand dollars. So there's another hundred eighteen thousand dollars. Very strange number. And there's a guy we'll get into in the suspects that had a falling out with John Ramsey regarding Access Graphics and Lockheed Martin and sued Lockheed Martin for (laughs) (laughs) $118,000. Come on. He ended up settling it for half, but his first asking price was $118,000. That's weird. So you have it three times there brought up. There's something to that. And that is a very personal number. Yeah. You're not going to come up with that off the top of your head. Well, nothing. Ab- yeah. Everything about this is personal, though. So somebody, whoever wrote this, who you would think would have, they, there was something in their mind to make them write $118,000. Mm-hmm. It's just very, very strange. This really is. Like I said at the beginning, I'm learning all this as we're going mm-hmm. through it. Mm-hmm. This is creepy. This is upsetting it's terrifying like in the end like it's an interesting story because we're getting all these what ifs there's a girl that was killed which so it makes it all terrible right um but it's it's interesting just how there's just the way that kind of is playing out for me the letter was discovered to have been written on a notepad found within the ramsey house that's crazy too what if this was your plan if just scrounge the house looking for a notepad what if you couldn't find one what were you gonna do well and allegedly they were there writing a note for 35 minutes as it is clearly they were not in a hurry it's just implausible the whole scenario if if it was an outside intruder right of course it was found by looking for writing impressions that it was drafted on pages from the middle of the pad not the front page as you would expect which is another really weird thing to do I'm trying to think i find this notepad i open it up open i'm in a hurry i don't know couldn't you also why would just... you open it if it's blank the first page is blank why would you open don't you it you usually have a cover on the front though no no this was just like your a, standard like a legal pad yeah oh that kind of notepad. that's what i was yeah. thinking like a legal pad mm-hmm. so it's uh i guess i was thinking of one with a cover with a notebook yeah. no it's just like your a standard. composition book you were yeah thinking. couldn't you also just tell by like the uh the where it was torn out. Like if you look in the pad, if you look in the middle, you can still see like, you know what I'm talking about? Like where it's the, um, prefer, what's the word? Perforated. Perforated. (laughs) Like you can still see where it's ripped. Well, they determined that there were pages missing that were never found again. So whoever wrote this note took some pages. So they only, they didn't spend 35 minutes writing one draft. It was like an hour writing two drafts. Right. And they had proven that the note, the first draft started out saying Mr. and Mrs. I, and then they stopped and then wrote the one. So they they started out saying Mr. and Mrs. I, and then switched it to Mr. Ramsey and directed Mr. it. Mr. and Mrs. I. It's like Mr. and Mrs. comma, and then the next line started off a sentence oh, saying I. Gotcha. And mm. then stopped and went into directing it just at John instead of including Patsy. Like we were just talking about with ripping out pages, the additional sheets were never located. They were able to determine that it was drafted from writing impressions. The pen used was also already in the Ramsey house. Forensic analysis showed that the pen used was a pre-November 1992 water-based ink Sharpie 
just like the ones kept in the orange container on the kitchen counter. The precise pen type is known because the Secret Service has a huge database of pen inks to detect forgery. Not only did the kidnapper leave the notepad behind, but also put this pen back in the container. That's just weird. That's so odd. It's also odd that you would not have a note pre-written if you were breaking into this well, home. Well, that's what John Douglas believes is that um, he thinks that this note was already written or they already had a draft written and came in with it and wrote it on stuff from inside the house. As a way to throw off. Right. That's mm. his belief. Mm. Fingerprints that were found on the note have never been matched to any of the Ramsey family or anyone else. Handwriting analysis of the letter has been inconclusive in terms of identifying a suspect. The premise of handwriting analysis is based on the fact that no two individuals have the same handwriting. Uh, this is based on variables and patterns observed in handwriting such as pen lifts, letter form, pressure applied, and shading. A handwriting expert will use historical documents from the suspect as well as one that is requested as part of the investigation to compare the document in question. The pen used in this ransom note was a broad fiber tip pen. This type of pen makes handwriting analysis more challenging due to the fact that the pen tip distorts the finer details that make handwriting unique. Well, it's a Sharpie. Right. That so it's going to bleed. Yeah. So we discussed handwriting, I think it was in the Zodiac one, right? When they were doing that. Right. It's not, a, it's, there's a lot of debate out there about how correct it really is. Yeah. Do we believe it's even a thing? Because remember, what? if that, that doctor in the Zodiac one said that a person's handwriting never changes, and even if you try to right. disguise it, it's still detectable. I, I don't fully believe that. Yeah, I don't think I do either. I believe more in the habit part of it. Mm. I think we talked about that before where yeah. we said like if someone leaves off a sentence with a without putting a period every time or something like that, and you can document that like a specific habit that's weird mm -hmm. that's more credible to me than the actual handwriting analysis being not i'm saying it could it's not 100 percent. yeah I, no far yeah. from it you could read all about that in zodiac episode located in the archives boom nailed it <laughs> also a sharpie i hate that they call sharpie a pen because i see a sharpie as a marker yeah so like this whole time I was thinking a pen until Ian, when you read like the pre 1992 ink water-based ink Sharpie, yeah. then I'm like, Oh, it's a Sharpie. That right. that's, I think that's very different and significant. Very. Cause it's more of a marker than it is a sharp or, or a pen. Yeah. I mean, it's your standard Sharpie. Yeah. Right. Which is, you know, like we said, the ink's thicker, it spreads, it, you know, right. you're not going to see all the little, you know, nuances of someone's handwriting. One of the big questions has come up, and we kind of talked about it earlier, is if they were trying to disguise or mask their real handwriting. We talked about there's people like John Douglas and other investigators believe that the person wrote it with their left hand instead of their right hand. Can you write stuff with your other hand? I can. It'll look like just scribble. Dave, have yeah. you seen my handwriting? <laughs> look at this right now. Well, that's your right hand. What it would look like if you wrote with your left hand? That's my point. My, my <laughs> I, I can't even read my own handwriting most right, times. Right. Let alone if I use my left hand. Like it's, I, I have chicken scratch. Legitimately, it's terrible. So could I? No, I could not. No, I couldn't either. Or I'd be sitting there for a day and a half trying to write out that letter that I read earlier. Right. Well, they say that 
they also go on to say that the writing appears to have a slow and hesitant pressure pattern. Like, and that would make sense if you're writing with your left hand, you would really kind of take your time on the letters. Mm. That's why when they're saying 21 minutes to write it normal, you're tacking on an extra, what, 13 minutes to to write it with your left hand. Which makes sense when you're in someone's house that you want to spend as much time in there as possible. Sure. Right. When you're kidnapping their kid. Yeah. I, I, I mean, with that letter, I don't think kidnapping was ever even part of the question yeah. or part of the crime at all. It's just the cover story. Yeah. yeah. Something to throw investigators off because it, it just makes no sense. So who submitted handwriting samples? John Ramsey, Patsy Ramsey, Burke Ramsey, John Andrew Ramsey, Melinda Ramsey, family friend Fleet White, the guy who played Santa Claus, Bill McReynolds, and Joe Barnhill, who was the neighbor that had the uh, the new bike stored at his house for JonBenet. Why him? Just because he was a neighbor? Because he was right in that that window of the time frame. Within a couple days. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Because that was, what, Christmas Eve, and this was the 26th. All of them were ruled out to have written the letter, but Patsy was not. The results from her handwriting were inconclusive, so they couldn't prove that she wrote the letter, but they couldn't eliminate her as the writer either. Do you think if you had to take one of those tests... Like, I don't think I could just naturally write if I knew I was being, like, studied and they were like, here, write this sentence. I feel like it would change my actual handwriting. They did, but they were tested numerous times. Or would they take, like, old samples of my writing? They take old samples, too. I'd rather them do that because I feel like I'd be too nervous and I would want to change my writing Mm. while taking the test. Do they put it all together and kind of come up with a composite of your... I would imagine they do something, but... As far as what I read, they take a bunch of old stuff, and then they take your sample that you wrote for them. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I I believe... It it would make me nervous having to like take that test. The writer is believed to be a woman, and this is based off some of the caring and, and like almost nurturing language used in the letter with phrases like quote i advise you to be rested doesn't make sense why would you need to be why why would a kidnapper say you need to get your rest well it's another movie thing like they in their mind they said oh we're gonna send him to this phone booth and then he's gonna have to run across town to this phone booth right Right, more movie stuff what was the line the 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 drop off will be exhaustive yeah like yeah what 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 are you doing that it's exhaustive yeah they experts say that they found at least six examples of what they would consider maternalistic type language. They say that the writer was an adult over 30 and well-educated, a native English speaker, despite the spelling errors. It's likely that they knew the Ramseys, their children, their their business, and their home well. Based on the language used and information provided, Experts believe that the individual was attentive to their presentation and behavior despite being in a high-pressure situation. And this is also clear by the fact that the writer started a practice note. Yeah, they weren't in a hurry. Yeah. Whether they had premeditated or pre-writ the letter or not. Right. Pre-wrote the letter, not writ. It's been a long day of talking. <laughs> I ridded that note. I done composed it. They don't know the word composed. <laughs> well, I don't know. This whole thing's just fucking bizarre. That's an interesting I, I start. I don't even know what to say. And that's where we'll uh, we'll pick up next week for part two. Part two, we'll get into 
probably the most incompetent police investigation I've ever wow. read about. Amanda or heard Knox about. is pretty bad too. We can say most incompetent American police hmm. police investigation. That's a big statement. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll get into the autopsy, all that stuff. Okay. All right. That was a good. We laid a good base then. Gave all the good details. All right, it's been a few weeks. We got some Patreon shout-outs, and uh, oh boy, do we have some Patreon shout-outs. Here we go. Thank you very much to Devin Hanna, Samuel Howell, Emily Warner, Amanda Strobeck, Adrian Gren, Anna, Jess N., Elena Rosa, Kirsten Polly, Samantha Bowers, Christina, Lee Terwilliger, Chelsea Russell, Samantha Herman, Hank the Tank, Jessica Somerville, Joseph Ramirez, Laura Davis, Kingman Bon Graham, Justin Shaysby, Gina Wesley, Desiree Saunders-Spenner, Sarah Renee Lanehart, Adrian Janes, Maddie Campbell, Kate Merrick, Eric Hockenberry, Jess Wright, Erica Despina, Erica Ortwin, Nora Henry, Stephanie T., Tara Bracken, Preston C., Beck Altop, Josh Sinclair, Lee Bradshaw, Max Bowers, Mara Ruiz, Alex Miller, and Joshua Bovey. Thank you all very much. Wow, that's a big list. Very impressive. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that, that's that's happy holidays to us. Holy shit. Yeah. We appreciate it. Um Did Ian, you say happy holidays to us? Yeah. <laughs> all these people just being so generous. Um Ian, what do you got for us? For iTunes, I have Leah MFH, Amy Elizabeth Morrison, Elton's wife. I love my monkey 78. <laughs> Me too, buddy. Me too. <laughs> love him so much I spank him all the time. <laughs> you leave my Mr. Mugs out of it. Black Macabre, Erica Lynn O, JM Wardens. And pagan and proud. Thank you guys for the reviews. We've had a lot of uh, a lot of good ones recently. A lot of great ones. Yeah, yeah, really good ones. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, Dave. What do you got from the socials? On Twitter, Nacho Suitable, Devin Hannah Boyman, Vegan DN, PJ Karen Thirty Two. On Instagram, Dustin Sound, Kenzie Ward, Rinny Eight, and Foodie Adrian. Thanks, guys. Boom. Thank you all for the shoutouts. All right. Well, that was part one of uh, John Bonet. We'll be back next week with uh, part two. Get more into the story. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Necronomapod. Feel free to hit us up if you have uh, anything you want to reach us out to us about or have any uh, show topics we might uh, be able to add to our list. We are at patreon.com slash Necronomapod. If you wish to subscribe to our show, we have a $1 and a $5 tier. The $1 tier gets you a shout-out. $5 tier gets you a shout-out plus access to all the bonus content. And also, you can search Necronomapod on Amazon to find all of our latest gear. We have a ton of stuff up there and different designs and different uh, merch and different colors to pick from. So that's Amazon uh, and search Necronomapod. And the other thing I just want to say real quick about Patreon is we just started uh, putting the outlines up. That's right. We're going to release We've been putting a out some old out. outlines. Yeah, yeah. We'll release a few at a time. So, and shout out to Liz McCombs for for putting that all together. Yeah, every month uh, we'll put out a few uh, through the old outlines for you guys to have for the five dollar tier. Right. Yeah. 
All right. All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>